house, Lord, and show it to these folks. And, and Lord, I pray that they would be enriched, that their hearts would be uh, like, like tilled soil, like prepared to hear from you. I pray that you would, would just, just be in our presence this morning and, and just move in a great big way. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, we are on the uh, uh, part three of our Kingdom Living series, and, and actually I thought I'd start with a, with a quick story. I, Michael and I were laughing about this about three or four months ago. Um, in North Korea, we're going to be in the book of Luke, by the way. If you uh, have a Bible with you, find Luke uh, 14, which is where we're going to be at. But uh, in North Korea, a number of years ago, I think it was in the mid-80s, there was a project started. Um, it was to be the tallest hotel in the entire world. Um, and, and North Korea was, was rich with Soviet money at the time. And um, they, they had the wherewithal to build this tower. And, and it is a pretty neat-looking structure, right? Um, and they, they set out to build it. And as they built it, they encountered some problems. Um, the big, big one would be the fall of the Soviet Union, and all of a sudden all that money they were using to build this tower wasn't there anymore. Um, a, n- a number of other things happened along the way, but the tower was intended to be opened in the mid-'80s, and it was not. Um, it eventually reached a point where in the 90s they had given up completely trying to construct it. They had announced openings repeatedly, and because North Korea is like nuts, I don't mean that to be – it's a technical term, the geopolitical term, nuts. Um, because North Korea is nuts, they won't acknowledge the fact that, you know, oh, we messed up. It was, oh, well, we were discussing opening it on this day, you know, for the, the World Youth – or the Youth Fair of, of North Korea or something like that. And they, then they started building it again. They actually, in the, in the early 2000s, they found a company that agreed to come in and finish because they envisioned this grand vacation resort – Again, who's <laughs> it is quite the hot spot for for visiting, um, and I guess I guess construction stopped again. Um, I read a, as I was reading about it a couple of the big things that, that stood out to me. Um, still unoccupied, uh, like half a billion dollars invested at this point, or half a yeah half a billion dollars invested at this point. Um, one of the one of the groups that came in and inspected the building itself said the concrete wasn't quality enough to last or to be safe to occupy. Um, for a long time, the building was open without windows, like for a decade, and so like part of finishing it has been cleaning it um, and renovating the stuff that should have been finished already. The elevator shafts are crooked. I'm not an engineer, but I know a few. And I know I'm afraid of elevators in 110-story buildings that are not straight. Um, newspapers have dubbed it. Oh, some of these are pretty fun, actually. I really want to make sure I – the Hotel of Doom, uh, the worst building in the world, and the Phantom Hotel. Um, a few years ago, actually, like last year, I think, and, and Wikipedia hasn't caught up, last year they announced that they were just going to tear it down. That that was it. It was too much of an embarrassment because the world was laughing at North Korea for that, too, um, because they set out to build this grand tower, this grand monument to the greatness of their nation, and they ended up with a big, like, actually the biggest, biggest thing in their skyline of Pyongyang um, is, this, is this hotel that is empty and will never, ever, ever be finished. And if it is finished, nobody in their right mind would stay there. Um, it was a disaster. Uh, 
the reason I'm starting with this, we're going to be looking at a, at a couple of parables that Jesus told, and, and they're parables of warning. And, and roughly to the equivalent of this, like Jesus talks about, hey, if you're going to follow me, you need to take it seriously because if you get halfway done, folks are going to laugh at you. Like if you quit or if you run out of money or if you fail, he says, you know, look, consider how expensive following me is going to be. And, and I wanted to start this with this because, like, I, I often feel like and I've read and I've had a bunch of people I've talked to have said this, that, that some of the things Jesus said were hard. You all following me? I mean, like we, we can watch, you know, televangelists and they oftentimes like, like um, will soften Jesus so much that he's a little like Pollyanna, right? And he's so meek and he's so like never said anything offensive and, you know, he, he's cool with everything I do. And I mean, Jesus, Jesus wasn't that way. It was often the case that Jesus said some very, very, very hard things. And this is one of those teachings. Um, and so as we dive into it, I want to make it clear, like this, this hotel here, it's easy to laugh at North Korea, right? Um, I didn't get amens for that. I figured that was an amen course waiting to happen. Um, it, it is easy to laugh, but like, it's only easy to laugh because it's on such a big scale. There are many believers in the world. There are many people who start out following Jesus. There are many people who like pretend to follow Jesus and they are this tower, Right? They are a half-finished mess, and there's no plan to finish. You all with me? And so, like, pay attention. Um, This is one to listen to. This is one to take seriously because this is one of Jesus' hardest teachings. Um, A little background. So Luke is a brilliant writer. He was a doctor um, who was a slave at one point probably. Like, it wasn't uncommon for slaves to become doctors because you wanted to keep your slave population healthy. Right. So you might train them one to be a doctor to sort of maintain the stable. Um, That was not the way to say that. I am sorry. But (laughs) starting bad. Um, Luke did things very intentionally. He was a very studied man. And so when we see things put together in Luke, they're put together to make a point. You all with me? Um, This comes right after the story of the great banquet. We talked about that last week. And this is where a, uh, a very socially um, well-to-do man, a wealthy man, maybe a, maybe a king, it's in Matthew, it's presented as a king, um, invites a bunch of folks to a party and they all come up with bad excuses. I just got married, I can't come. I just bought a team of oxen and I, I can't come. I just bought a field, I got to go check it out and make sure it's actually there. I can't come. And so all these people have bad excuses and in the end, like, like, in that culture, we talked about this, in that culture, this is the utmost of insults, right? Like, you had parties to demonstrate how popular you were. Um, the ancient Middle East was high school, um, and to have a bad party was to die publicly, to be humiliated publicly, and it was no small matter. Honor was everything in the ancient Middle East. And so the guy who threw the great banquet was humiliated beyond humiliation, the, the impropriety of these guys throwing away the invitation can't be understated. And their reasons are selfish, right? And what we talked about last week was this idea that um, all of us have been invited to dine with Jesus in eternity, right? And in our lives now. And a lot of times we pick out stuff that is not that important. Say, well, you know what, Jesus, I love you, but my family. You know what, Jesus, I love you, 
but my job. I love you, Jesus, but my property. I love you, Jesus, but my entertainment. I love you, Jesus, but I want to look cool in front of the neighbors. I love you, Jesus, but I love you, Jesus, but. Um, What Jesus is talking about in the Great Banquet story is if you want to be acceptable in my banquet, if you want to be my people, you cannot, cannot think of other things as more important than me. I am it, period. Everything else is second or third or fourth or not even on the same planet. Um, and so he gets done with the great banquet story, and he jumps into the next, um, the next little bit here. And he's continuing on Jesus' trip to Jerusalem to be crucified. So there's a few weeks out of the crucifixion, like he is right there. Um, and it starts with, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is a very abrupt shift. Um, and it's important to note a couple things here. It's an abrupt shift because Jesus wanted these, or Luke intended these stories to be together. Got it? Like, they are butted up together for a reason. Um, it's also important to note this is not the disciples he's talking to. He's talking to a crowd of people, maybe several thousand, um, which means these are not folks who are saved already, probably. These are folks who are curious. And they're like, hey, this Jesus guy is performing miracles. Hey, this Jesus guy teaches in a way nobody teaches. Hey, this Jesus guy isn't a Judean, and he's a religious teacher, which is pretty unheard of, too. Like, it is a big deal. Let's check out what this guy is doing. And Jesus, unlike of the modern church, honestly, I feel like that's worth saying, doesn't soft sell. He's about to hard sell. Um, So this crowd here, they don't know him, and so they're not saved. And so everything that's coming after this is about salvation. It's not about discipleship. It's not about training. It's not about becoming a super Christian. It's not about being the best. It's about how do you, like, achieve salvation, how do you achieve rightness before God, right? And some of y'all maybe like have been a Christian your whole life, and you're sitting here and you're like, well, don't need discipleship. I don't need the, the leather seats. I'm fine with the, the standard issue. It's easier. But this isn't about the standard issue. This is about whether or not you walk in the doors of heaven or not, right? Worth paying attention to? Um, so he turns around and he says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, reiterate that, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, stand out to anyone? Small one? Big one? Hard one? Um, The natural tendency when you see this is, actually, I read a great essay by a woman who read the Bible with very little understanding. And she read that, and she's like, well, Jesus is a horrible person. Why would he ask me to do this? Right? Um, this is actually a Semitic phrase. And before I explain the Semitic phrase, um, I want you to understand, it's going to soften this in our eyes. In the ancient world, it didn't. Are you all with me? Because what Jesus is saying here is like, like when you interpret Scripture, you interpret it by Scripture. And Jesus says, well, hey, you've got to love your enemies. So, you know, love your enemies, but hate your mom might be some difficulty there, right? He isn't contradicting himself. He's actually um, doing what the the Jewish folks would like, an argument of the greater to the lesser, right? Um, You see it when the father, when God talks about Jacob and Esau. He says, Jacob, I loved, and Esau, I... No one's awake anymore. How do I put you to sleep that fast? Jacob, I loved, and Esau, I... Hated, right? And so, like, he... Did God really hate Esau? No, probably not. Um, 
what it really is referring to, and you would see rabbis do this, where like you would say love and hate, and hate would mean like love less or in a lower position. And that's really soft comparatively, right? Actually, we can back this interpretation up in Matthew. Um, Matthew records roughly the same teaching, only Matthew, instead of giving us Jesus' word-for-word paraphrases, right? When Matthew says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Um, so, like, Matthew sort of backs up this interpretation that he's saying, listen, you've got to love God more than, more than you love anything else. You've got to love Jesus more than you love anything else. Jesus has to be the number one on the list with a bullet, and nothing else comes even close. Um, and that's easier. Everybody with me? That is a much easier teaching. I don't have to seething hate my wife, right? In fact, I probably shouldn't. Um, if not if I'm going to follow Jesus' teachings correctly. Now, in the ancient world, this is not a softening. For the ancients, your family was it, right? It was beyond it. Your family determined your social status, right? You, Luke is an exception in the ancient world. It was very unusual for a slave to elevate their position in any way. It really didn't happen very often. For the most part, you were born in the level you were born at, and you died at the level you, were, you died at, right? If you were unlucky, you got sick along the way, and you died on a lower level. Um, but, like for the ancients, so you come along, you say, well, hate your mother, hate your father, hate yourself. Um, what he's saying is, listen, guys, everything that gives you value in our culture doesn't matter, right? Everything that makes you important doesn't matter next to me. In our world, this is, I, I uh, watch your toes. Um, a lot of times in the church, we take an attitude toward lots of children as that being the high benchmark of Christianity. That isn't it, right? If you plan on walking into heaven based on your good family, nope. If you plan on walking into heaven based on your wealth or how much you gave to the church or how well you showed up or how well you followed the rules or how, like, popular you were or anything else, like, if these are the benchmark for your life, you are missing it. Don't let that roll over you. Don't miss that. Don't ignore that. You will not reach heaven on your own effort. And if you love things more than you love Jesus, you are a bankrupt, like you're coming in bankrupt, um, trying to build a giant tower, right? You're Kim Jong-il, or Kim Jong-un? Is it Jung? Whatever. I was <laughs> you're that guy. Um, I just need a little picture. It's, that would be perfect. Um, <laughs> um, Jesus is saying, listen, everything, 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 false second. And that is an easy thing to say. How many of y'all ever said, I love, my, I love God more than I love my family? Now, if you were to reverse that, how would you change your behavior today? Anyone? I, had, I read that the other day, this question, actually in an unrelated book. You know, hey, we say we love God more than we love our families because that's what we're supposed to say. Like, that's part of what Jesus taught. But, like, if I really did that, like, how does that really change anything about what I do? Like, how does it impact my life? Because words have a, a dangerous effect. 
words can make us forget like the harder meanings, right? Like we can, we can convince ourselves with words without living them out. Um, what Jesus is saying here is hard. Um, and I think about this every time I, I see like a televangelist who makes following Jesus as easy as possible, right? And it's not even about following Jesus. It's about how can Jesus make you rich today, people, right? How can Jesus make your marriage happier? How can Jesus make your teeth whiter? Um, they might as well be saying it. Am I wrong? I'm, I'm a terrible person. I apologize. I don't apologize. I'm not sorry. Because um, <laughs> it's the truth. Um, following Jesus is not an easy thing. Um, Jesus made it as hard as possible. Jesus routinely stopped, said really difficult things, and watched the crowds disappear. Because he wanted folks to follow him who were willing who were willing to love him more than anything else. Um, where the love was palpable. Um, we can take it a step further. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Um, this I, Anne made me a lovely cake, which is going to be around after church that we're going to eat, right? And you all need to eat a lot of that cake because if it goes to my house, I'm going to eat it. That is not acceptable. It is delicious, but I can't eat a whole cake. But I can, but I can't. And if my kids eat it, then they won't sleep. And anyway, um, but it, 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 it's a cross cake, right? Like in the ancient world, the cross was a thing that you got nailed to and you spent about two weeks slowly starving to death while you bled out. And they would sometimes feed you to keep you alive. The cross was something you watched your neighbor get nailed to for ticking off the government. The cross was something that you would avoid on the road because, like, it was horrifying, but they put it on the road so you had to see it. It was the Roman government billboard saying, we are in charge, people, right? It was, it was the worst thing that could happen to you for a Jewish person because the Jews believed that if you died hung from a cross or hung from a tree really is where the derivation of it, but the Jews, like, later applied that to the cross, it was a sign that God hated you, okay? So Jesus is saying, hey, you've got to love me more than your family, meaning you have to be willing to step away from everything in your life that makes you valuable. If your job, if your accomplishment, if your family makes you valuable, love me more, be willing to step away from it, orient your life around me and not that. Um, and then he goes on and he says, live like a person condemned to die in the most horrible possible way because pretty much like you need to die to this world. Like, you need to die to this world and be born into something else. We don't do baptisms very often. When I worked at the children's home, I would wait, like, six months before I ever baptized anyone that asked to. Because, like, you need to understand, when you're baptized, like, what Paul tells us is you are buried and dead and then raised again, taken out of the water, right? Like, like you die to your old self and you are brought back to life. Paul uses the cross in this way. He says, crucify your flesh daily, meaning the part of you that desires to do wicked things, the part of you that desires to serve yourself, the part of you that is all about worshiping yourself or your family or your job or your anything else, like that part of you, you have to nail it down every day and kill it because, like, it's going to be a fight. And I, I, I do it. I don't crucify myself daily, but I fight with it, right? Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. But that's my job. Follow Jesus 110, 120, 140% every day. 
the disciples, the people, actually the crowd listening to him, to be told, pick up your cross and come after me, like, is the most offensive thing you could tell them, right? Actually, I don't know. Love me more than love your family or be prepared to be tortured to death. Like, man, that's an awful brochure, isn't it? I remember when I became a Christian, I, uh, I, when, the day I accepted Christ, um, um, committed my life and said, I will do, like, my whole life belongs to you. I will be your man. Like, I am yours. The day that happened, I, I was at a, an, an event, and it was a gospel tract I was given, right? And it was like, everybody close your eyes, raise your hand if you want one slip to you, no one will know. <laughs> Bit of a difference. I'm not saying it's not effective, right? But the reality is that Jesus demands a lot out of us. He doesn't make it easy. And actually, on his part, he stepped out of heaven, the glory of like God surrounding him, worshipped by angels, um, into our world to be one of us, lives this perfect life, and then takes our punishment on the cross. So like he died for something you even do, like, like God poured his wrath on Jesus so that you can be forgiven. And so, like, high bar or not, right? Like, there's a reason there's a high bar. It's because Jesus went so far on your behalf because God loves you so passionately. Um, And when you think about it in terms of that, I love you so passionately. um, These guys are getting married in a few months. If one of them were to say to the other, hey, you know what? I love you more than anything. I will live my life for you. I will die for you. And the other one said, hey, that's really nice. And, and I will sometimes acknowledge I'm married to you in public. And I will even wear my ring sometimes. And you will definitely land pretty close to Monday night football on my list. And when my career is more important, you'll just have to sit in the back seat for a while. But don't worry, you'll still be in the car. That is a pretty weak wedding vow, isn't it? I don't recommend it. Uh, I hope I didn't get one of you in trouble already. <laughs> This would be the moment you'd pull it out of your wallet and tear it up and throw it away, by the way. Um, <laughs> got it. Don't do that one. Um, but in reality, like we, we, it's easy to think of it in terms of marriage, but when we think of it in terms of following Jesus and loving Jesus and being like belonging to Jesus. Like, hey, I'll go this far, far for you. And we say, well, hey, you know what? And Jesus says, nope, I want everything. I want everything. I don't want you to love your job more than you love me. I don't want you to love this more than you love me. I don't want your social standing to be more important than me. I want me to be it. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost whenever, or excuse me, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man, by the way, this man, the phrasing in um, Greek is like mocking, right? It sounds kind of harsh in our language, but like in ancient Greek, this isn't a form that would be like, like this moron, but Bible translators don't generally do that. Um, (laughs) 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 This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Um, And we come back around to North Korea, right? That really neat looking building that if you got in the elevators, you'd probably die. Um, It's kind of cool because there are two meanings here. Jesus is awesome in the way that he multi-layers teachings. The first one's the obvious one. He's saying, if you're going to get up and follow me, get up and follow me like you mean it, because it's going to cost you. This will not be easy. And we say that it's easy to sound passionate, right? It's easy to sound passionate saying it in a culture where you can't be killed for doing it. 
in a place and time where, like, your neighbors won't hate you for it or your spouse won't reject you for it. In this world, Jesus is asking them, hey, listen, as you get up and follow me, understand you have to pay this toll. You have to be in love with me and belong to me. Um, I didn't realize when I got married how much I had to step away from myself to love my wife completely. Um, and 20-some-odd years ago when I, when I became a Christian, I didn't realize how much it was going to cost me in the long run. Um, it was worth it. But it was an expensive choice. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not any of those things. I don't have a nice house. I do have a nice house. I don't have a nice car. That was what I meant to say. My house is wonderful, and I thank God every day for the wonderful people that provide it. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, at the end of the day like the expense associated with this I haven't lived near my family in decade plus almost two decades I haven't lived near my family because I've said where do you want me to go God and I've gone there and it has never been near my family like I love my family I when my wife and I got married I talked to my parents like four times a week on the phone five times a week we were very close family growing up but like this is a trade I serve Jesus. This is, I'm not saying this because I'm awesome. I'm saying this because it's expensive. Right? It is expensive. It's expensive when your spouse is infuriating you to be Jesus to them. Right? It's expensive to serve when you're angry. It's expensive to love your neighbor who is just the worst person ever. Right? It's expensive... To forego what you want because it's not what God wants for you. It's expensive to step away from addiction. It just is. It's expensive to step away from self-indulgence. It's expensive to confess sin publicly. It's expensive to make yourself right with other people. That is a high cost. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to do it, understand the cost is high. Now, here's the other half of this. And this is a really cool double meaning. And I've missed it for decades. I only figured it out like this week. And I'm sharing it with you all. And I'm excited, right? Um, the other half of this is you can never afford it anyway, right? You can never afford it anyway. Like North Korea was never going to build that tower. They weren't, not on their own. They were only able to start it because the neighbor gave them money. And then the neighbor went bankrupt, and they were bankrupt too. You can't do it. However, each and every one of us who is a follower of Christ, we got a, we got a sugar daddy, Right? It's not an inappropriate phrase. we got a God who loves us so much and has deep pockets. I don't have to build a tower on my own. Jesus Christ did it for me. I don't have to be good enough for God to love me. Jesus Christ did it for me. Years ago when I quit drinking, I didn't have to be strong enough to quit drinking. I just let Jesus be in control of my life, and it made me quit. Um, I didn't have to be smart enough and clever enough to like do any of the things I've done. God has done it for me, and all I have to do is figure out how to let go and let him do it. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? I don't have to dig out my wallet. Somebody else will pay for it for me. All I have to do is give up everything I have. But that's not my strength that does it. And really, ultimately, my heart isn't even capable of it. Um, but God steps in and reforms my heart. But I have to commit to being his and his alone 100% more than anything else, more than my wife, more than my kids, more than everything. And I say that not lightly. I love my wife and kids. But I do love Jesus more. And because I love Jesus more, I love my wife and kids better than I could otherwise. 
And I'm not making that soft, right? If it came down to it, I would have to pick Jesus because I love him more. But I, I am I'm grateful that that's the way it is. Um, years ago, I almost took a job in Ohio because I wanted to quit a job that I had. I wanted to quit so badly, and I wanted to go. And Jess asked me, well, is this really what God wants? And I said, I just want to go. Like My job I had, I was burnt out and getting beat up every day, and it was miserable and everything else. You sure you want to go and do this? Yeah, I just, I just want to go. And she's like, well, I, you know, I, I don't think this is what God wants for us. I don't think this is what God wants for us. I don't think this is what God wants for us. She said, and finally she said, well, you're my husband. You make the final decision, but I don't agree. Um, and I was mad at her for saying that. <laughs> Denver told her? You told her to say that? Hey, Ross, you want to meet me in the parking lot with Denver later? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what? When she said that, I, I realized, I'm like, man, this is what Jesus wants for me. Because Peter tells me, book of, you know, like First Peter, I believe, says, listen, if you're not right with your wife, like, don't bother praying God ain't going to hear it, right? And I backed up, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. If I've got to be right with my wife to be right with Jesus, I better be right with my wife. And so to be right with Jesus, I've got to say no. We ended up here, by the way, instead. Um, yay. Uh, <laughs> five years next month? Two months. Five years and two months. Um, and it was good. But it involved me, like, putting down what I wanted and doing what he wanted and what my wife wanted, which was even harder. Um, so we don't have to pay the toll. He pays it for us. We just have to make him number one. Uh, Almost there, right? One more little short parable. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Now, this is a little more overt in the direction of the second meaning, right? Watch this. This is cool. Every one of us is a king over our own domain, right? Every one of us is a king. Like, we expect other people to appreciate us and love us for how awesome we are. We expect other people to sort of, like, beckon to our will. We expect other people to, like, cooperate with our plans, right? We all are a king in our own right. The other king who is a long way off is coming. Can you fight him? Well, we might think we can. And actually, in the great banquet story, there are people who thought, well, I can be super holy, because that's the Pharisees who were present with Jesus and missed the point of the story. They're like, well, I'm super holy. I'll be acceptable to God on behalf of my holiness. I'm so good. God will love me. Guess what? They're not going to be. And they weren't. You cannot be good enough. If you think you are going to be holy enough to go out and fight God's standard on your own, you are going to get run over. Right? You are going to lose that fight. Period. The only thing we can do is make peace with the king of creation before he shows up again. Don't take that lightly. How do you make peace with the king of creation? We meet his terms, right? When you surrender, you don't go out and say, hey, you know what, God, I surrender, but here are my terms. I will follow you, Jesus, if you will, right? And we almost sound like Satan when he's tempting Jesus. Hey, I'll give you the whole world if you'll just bow down to me once. 
I've heard a lot of people say that over the years. I will love God forever if he'll show himself to me. I will love God forever if he gives me the job I want. I will love God forever if I can just marry a supermodel. I will love God forever if he will just do things my way. And guess what? It won't work. If you can't serve two masters, you'll end up hating one and loving the other. Whoa, there's another example of that Semitic phrase. Um, We end up loving God less if we pick things that we love more. We'll never, ever be at peace with him if we do that. And so we have to make peace. We have to be right. How do we make right? Well, Jesus answers it right in the last verse here. So therefore, any one of you who has not renounced all that he has cannot be my disciple. That means the day that we wake up and say, I will follow Jesus, we have to say, God, I will walk away from everything to be your follower. Nothing, nothing, nothing will be more important than you. Right? That ain't a small deal. Nothing will be more important than you. My wife, my kids, my desires, my pornography, my alcohol, my my entertainment, my comfort, my job, my church, right? My pews, my carpets. A lot of people worship that stuff. My social value. All of that stuff is number two next to Jesus. If you expect to show up and say, God, here's all the stuff I've collected on your behalf to buy my way into heaven. You say, man, your tower ain't even complete. You got no windows. There are a lot of us that are in North Korea this morning. There are a lot of us that are sitting here pretending to be big, beautiful buildings, and in reality, we are dead inside. The only way to be alive inside is to back up and say to Jesus, you know, you are Lord. And that loses a lot of meaning in our culture. It means, Jesus, you are boss. Jesus, you are in charge. Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, I am, as Paul puts it, a slave to you, bought as a slave to you. I am your man, but in exchange, we're forgiven. That's it. No other anything. My challenge for you, my application, my encouragement, and i got a little bit of time left, though I'm pretty sure I'm long, and I am not sorry. Um, my challenge for you is to back up and look at your life. Like, can you know the truth, right? Is Jesus really sitting in that spot in your life, or is he down the row? Like, is Jesus on second seat? Like, second bench? Isn't that second string? That's the word. Is Jesus second string in your life? Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Better pull Jesus up. He's the comeback kid. He'll have my problem solved in three whole days. That's an irreverent thing to say, but it's the attitude a lot of us take, isn't it? Is Jesus first string? Is he the guy in charge? Is he the coach? Is he the quarterback and you're the fan? Are you living for him? You can never work your way to God, folks. If you have bitterness in your life, if you said, Jesus, I love you more than I love my own revenge... If you find yourself getting bitter at how hard you're working, you might back up and look and say, wait a minute, am I doing this? Am I building my own tower? My challenge for you as we pray today um, is to look at your life and say, do I belong to him? Maybe you've never done that. I don't do this often. I'm going to call Nathan back up. I don't do this often. If If you've never done that or if you have done it, Stand up and come on up here and pray with me like when we finish. 
Um, if you're a person who will belong to Jesus, if that is who you are and what you are and everything else, it's not just standing up that makes you saved. It's belonging to Jesus. That is a commitment. Um, if you're already there, then get up and come and join us and we'll pray, right? If you aren't, take it seriously. I did this 20 years ago. It has changed my life. Everything about it. <laughs> I, again, don't do it often, but like, don't take it lightly, folks. Um, let's pray and we'll sing. Got a song? You can figure one out. Holy Spirit will lead you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us. I pray that you would prick our hearts. I pray that you would pierce us. Help us to recognize that we belong to you and that you have to be number one. Help us to commit ourselves, Lord. Help us to be willing and, and able. And, and, and Lord, help us to not be empty towers. Help us to belong to you and be your people. Lord God, I praise you for, for the gift of Jesus. I praise you for the commitment that you ask of us. I praise you that you won't share anything with us. Um, I praise you that you love us enough to send your son to die for us. Amen. You good? Come on. Well, come on up and pray with me. Whenever Nathan gets to it. Here. Oh. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise and to know the Savior.
close with a blessing and I, I, uh, I don't think I can do a blessing better than, than folks saying I belong to Jesus he's mine you know I'm his I'll, I'll love him more than anything and, and I can't I can't top that so we'll close with a prayer and I'll let you all be uh, Heavenly Father I pray that you would be with all of us this morning I pray that that we would love you more than we love anything else that that you would be in that that spot for us Lord that we wouldn't be empty towers but that you would renovate us inside and out repaint our hearts and our souls and recreate us to be your people. I pray that you would pour your spirit on these folks and help them to understand that this is, this is a commitment to a way of life, not a, not a moment that saves us, but a whole life of following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good morning, folks.